Welcome everyone to Asian Voices Youth Radio Podcast. I'm Austin Tong, your host for this special episode where we talk about any and all topics relating to life growing up as Asian and Pacific Islander Americans. On today's show, we're going to be talking to a young woman who has started a campaign on TikTok for a Korean Disney princess musical. Joining us today on the program is musical theater composer, lyricist, and playwright, Julia Rue. She is a senior at Harvard University and a talented writer, having written more than 15 original songs for the Korean Disney musical she's campaigning for. Gaining traction on TikTok, she's received a large support and love for her work in the span of less than a month. Welcome to the show, Julia. How are you doing today? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. If I remember correctly, uh, you're, you have a school today. How's that? <laughs> yeah, it's actually my last first day of school. Um, so just stepped out of class for a second, but I'll be right back after this. <laughs> Man, that is a that's a pretty pretty great feeling to have that last day, <laughs> last final yeah. day of or last first day of school. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's a little bittersweet, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. So one of the questions we have for you is. For being someone so young, the recognition you've gathered in such a short amount of time through TikTok and social media has to be extremely astonishing. For the people that are listening to this episode and hearing about you for the first time, could you kind of explain to us the origin behind your love for musical theater? And to add on that, would you say there was a musical that kickstarted your love for it? Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I've honestly been in love with theater for pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, when I was really, really young, we used to always listen to Broadway soundtracks in the car. We'd listen to Disney music. I was always watching Disney movies. Um, and, and my mom had this CD called Broadway Kids that was basically kind of like, not like kids, Bob, but basically a bunch of recordings of kids <laughs> singing Broadway music. Um, and we, I would listen to it every single time I got into the car. And so that's that was really kind of my first introduction into musical theater. Um, and then in elementary school, I always loved drama class. It was my favorite class. And we'd do a little play every single year. Um, and and then I was I was like kind of that kid who was the one on the playground, like directing my friends in in little musicals. And then we'd have our we'd have the teachers come watch during recess. Um, and so I think I, I just honestly have always been in love with it. I, I love music and I love storytelling. So I think it was just kind of a really um, uh, really sort of almost logical thing for me to find as a young kid um, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and then I started, I, I really honestly fell in love with performing first. Um, I also grew up as a violinist. Um, we started writing music when I was pretty young as well. So then all, all of these sort of different things came together in, in writing musical theater. But one of the first, maybe actually the first musical I ever saw was Wicked. Um, I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and it came around um, it came to the Fox Theater, and so I went to see it. I remember I was six years old, and I remember I had absolutely no idea what was going on. I think we sat in the very back, and I was six years old. I could barely see anything. I was so confused, um, which is funny because Wicked is now actually my favorite musical. I've seen it so many times wherever it comes, um, whenever it's touring or, or now that I live near New York. Um, and, and I do think that Stephen Schwartz has been one of the really, really big influences on me musically, and, and he wrote the music and lyrics for that show. But I, I think separately to musical theater, I think Disney itself just has been so influential ever since I was little. So so it's kind of kind of a mix of, of the two is sort of how I came upon this project. Oh, okay. When you said you saw Wicked, did you see it with the original Broadway cast? I don't think so. I think it was a touring cast um, oh. that that came to came to St. Louis, but I, I'm not actually sure who was in that cast. Okay, okay. So yeah, actually, Wicked. 
I think that was the first, at least time I was personally aware of musicals. I just remember yeah. as a kid walking through Chinatown and just seeing the playbills for that show everywhere. <laughs> I remember even picking one up because I had seen oh. um, The Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. prior as a mm-hmm. child. So seeing right. the playbill for it, I was like going, wait, so there's a a musical about the witch from The Wizard of Oz? And I was just so confused of the whole concept of doing a musical where the antagonist from the film is the protagonist of it. You know? Right, right, exactly. And it's actually it's actually based off of a book. And I remember the book is actually super, super different from the musical. Um, and a lot of what I do is in adaptation. So, so reading the book and then comparing it to what you see on stage. And then, you know, even the book is an adaptation of, of The Wizard of Oz. And so it's kind of an adaptation of an adaptation of of an adaptation, I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's too many adaptations. Um, but but yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's just such a well crafted, well paced musical, and and the music is just so much fun and so incredible. So so yeah. Yeah, I mean, speaking of adaptations, I, I've seen on your website the adaptations of, that you've done, like with Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. Uh, uh, you've done like a revamped version of Alice in Wonderland. Like mm-hmm. that's like a ama- like the whole concept <laughs> of your Alice in Wonderland is like very modern. You know what I mean? The fact that she's a, a video game uh, yeah. developer. Can you go ahead and explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so something you'll you'll find with a lot of musicals is, is that pretty much like I, I'm going to throw out a random guess number here, but I wouldn't say like, I would say maybe like 98% of musicals are actually adaptations of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a class here at school um, on on the making of musicals. And, and something our professor said is that it, you look at Broadway and you look at all of the shows that they've done over the last many, many years. And it's always an adaptation of either historical events or a book or a film or or like mythology or some kind of story that was in a different form. And so you'll, you'll find that like most musicals, there are very few that are just completely original stories. Um, and even those that are original stories come from usually a really personal place for the, for the writers. Um, and so what I like, I really, really enjoy um, adapting folk tales as well as old stories, stories in the public domain. Um, and what I find is that like one of the really joys of bringing a new version of a show into the world is getting to bring your own personal experience to it. And I find that that's something that I've done with all of my shows. Um, and, and so, so Alice, Alice's Wonderland in particular is a show that's premiering this summer at the Coterie in Kansas city. Um, and it's written in collaboration with Jay Quinton Johnson, who's a fantastic actor. Um, he's, uh, he performed in Hamilton on Broadway and he did um, in the Heights of the Kennedy center. And, and so we've been working on this show for the last about, year and a half is it almost wow it might even be almost two years now and and it was actually a, a commission so we didn't even know each other before we started writing the show <laughs> um so we started working together and and that's just been a really really exciting and fun experience and so yeah but the, and then the jack and the beanstalk was something that i did with the american repertory theater which is attached to harvard and and i've been working with them since my junior year of college so so i think it's all just been really really great experiences learning how to how to adapt things how to bring my own experience in and and I think every project that I take on I I learn something new about how to be a writer um so it's been really fun I actually didn't even know Harvard had a musical theater program like that was the yeah. first I ever heard of it you usually hear it's like like a a, a law school or something like right that. right absolutely well it, well it's funny so the theater dance media concentration is actually really new um I think this is their sixth year oh, wow. um so when I started I it was their 
uh, I think it was like their second or third year. I took a gap year. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so I've been here a little bit longer, but, um, yeah, so, so they don't necessarily quite have like a musical theater program itself, but they do have, um, a lot of flexibility in the different concentrations, especially depending on what you're concentrating in. Mm-hmm. Um, since I'm a joint concentrator in theater, dance, media, and in music, I've sort of almost curated my own form of of studying musical theater just taking courses in in composition and in musicals and in the history of theater and and that kind of thing but but honestly so much of i i think probably the majority of my development as and my interest in musicals um and writing musicals has come from my experience working with the american repertory theater which is the theater right next door to harvard and it's in harvard square and they send shows to broadway every single year um and their staff is so so incredible there Okay. Well, let's go ahead and talk about your TikTok a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the massive growth you've had in literally less than a month. Uh, <laughs> the first two videos you actually have on there is about an original song that you wrote uh, yeah. and sang called Dive for your Disney-inspired musical Shimchong uh, folktale. <laughs> so many questions asked just from that simple fact. Yeah. First of all, for everyone unaware of the folktale involving Shimchong, could you share with us that tale for the first time listeners that are probably going to hear about it on here? Yeah, absolutely. So the original folktale is based off of a story called The Blind Man's Daughter, um, or that is the original folktale. And it's it's a really, really old Korean story. Um, I think there's other versions of it that are just called Shimchong. And there's there it co- takes place. It, it takes many different forms. So if you've ever heard of the term pansori, that's a traditional form of, of singing and storytelling in Korean culture. Um, there is an there is a pansori edition of Shincheng as well. But the the story is about a a and and I would say that my mind does um, while it is inspired, it, it is quite different from the original story in the same way that uh, Disney adapts its stories quite a bit. In the same way that we were talking earlier about Wicked, a very very different from the book version. Uh, my story is quite different but the original folktale is about a um, a young woman who essentially dives into the ocean to sacrifice herself um, on behalf of her father and ends up in this place called the dragon kingdom and meets the dragon king and then eventually it's about really her making her way back home and reuniting with her father in the end um and so so that's the inspiration for my for my senior thesis um and also for uh these tiktoks which are from my senior <laughs> thesis <laughs> hopefully you get an a on it <laughs> I hope so. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to get an A. You know, you had to take it to that next level, not just an A, but get it produced by Disney and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I hope so. That would be the dream. Yeah. Could you give us maybe like a quick brief synopsis of the, the film that you're planning to do since it's slightly yeah. different from the original folktale? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my my adaptation is a musical, um, and it's currently written as a stage musical. But my dream is to adapt it into an animated film. Mm-hmm. And um, my in my story, it's a little bit different. I would say it's just as much inspired by the blind man's daughter as it is my own experience as a Korean American. I am a sec- second and a half generation Korean American. So <laughs> my mom was born in the states um, and raised here. My dad was born in the states, but also oh, my dad was born in Korea, but he was also raised here in the states. Mm-hmm. And so I I grew and also as a a Korean person who grew up in Missouri, I um, was quite detached from Korean culture. I think growing up, we didn't, we never spoke Korean at home. Um, and really through the food was honestly how I mostly connected with the culture. But I didn't even know that many Koreans because Missouri has a very low Korean population um, mm-hmm. or did at the time. And so the story is 
really inspired in many ways by my experience visiting Korea for the first time when I was 18 after graduating from from high school um, and discovering that this place that I had always sort of conceived as home was was really different than I expected, but not in a bad way, just in, in learning that my culture had so many, there were so many things about my culture that I didn't, that I didn't know and that I had to learn. Um, but also in many ways that felt like coming home and in many ways felt like leaving home. Um, and so the story, my adaptation is really about Shim Chung's search for home and her search for belonging. Um, and that's something that I myself have been on a journey in the last couple of years and have really been figuring out. Um, but it is totally inspired by Disney films, both the music um, and sort of the the way that the characters speak and the silliness and the how it's so uplifting. But there are also some quite heavy and emotional moments. Really does take a lot of inspiration from Disney. I mean, if if you would like, could you share with us those trials and tribulations you went through during that search yeah. and any inspiring words you'd like to share with everyone going through the same thing? Because I think it's a really common thing with Asian Americans within our generation and wow. our younger, or at least when I was growing up personally, I also felt really disconnected with my culture just due to the fact that I grew up in a mostly Hispanic neighborhood. Right. And, you know, growing, you know, kids can be mean when you're growing up, yeah. obviously. So it, mm-hmm. it was a lot of rejection and not even wanting to learn about my own Absolutely. culture. And it's not until when you find that you're getting older and you start meeting people that are a lot more like you, that you kind of feel like you need to play catch up almost right i need to like relearn these things about yourself and who you identify with so what would you say were some of those things that you went through to give us a little bit of an insight especially for anyone that's going through that same thing yeah totally so so i think one of one of the reasons i'm i'm really really passionate about um, in telling stories um, that it, that help increase representation and visibility for for younger audiences, especially for kids, is that I just I just think it's so important for kids to be able to see themselves. Um, back when I was growing up, um, it wasn't really common to see an Asian person on TV, and and very very rare to see a see a Korean person on on screen um, in an American uh, film or TV show, or or even in books and in in especially on stage as well. I think growing up, I. I because I knew so few Korean people, the only really times that I could experience seeing other people of my culture was was those few times where I saw it on TV or in movies. And so I think that really did impact the way I saw myself growing up because the Asian person in a, in a show was always kind of like the funny side character or like the quirky <laughs> sidekick or was like the nerdy person or, you know, there were all these tropes back then um, that I think still exist today, but it's getting much better. Um, that's sort of how I, how I saw myself. I always saw myself as the quirky sidekick. I never saw myself as the main character. I never saw myself being the lead even of my own story. And so I think I think um, getting getting older, I when when I got to high school, I always had this idea that when I went to Korea for the first time, I would feel like I really belonged and I would feel like I was coming home and, and I would be embraced by sort of this this homeland that I that I um I, I love St. Louis, Missouri, and I I honestly <laughs> miss it all the time now that I've moved to the East Coast. Um, but I always had this idea that, oh, this is Korea is the place where I feel like I truly belong. And then I remember being so surprised when I visited for the first time because I just felt like such a foreigner. Um, and I remember there were people when when I would go to the store and I would I would buy things, they uh, the clerks sometimes would speak to me in English. And I asked my friend who was from Korea, "Oh, how did they how did they know?" And and I remember a friend said, "Oh, it's 
they just look at you. They can just tell by the way you look, by the way you dress and the way you carry yourself that you're not from here. Um, and I remember that really, really stuck with me because it, I ha- it was sort of this realization that, oh, I, I, I don't belong in – I'm always an outsider in Missouri. I'm always outsider in America, but I'll always be an outsider in Korea. So where do I belong? Um, and these were a lot of questions that I was trying to figure out for, for a couple of years and obviously still I'm figuring out. But I think it's been a journey to realize that I don't think home is necessarily a place. I don't think belonging is necessarily a place or a type of people or a group of people. It's really something that everyone struggles with, whether it's dealing with race, whether it's dealing with something else. And so and so I think one of the things that has really helped is finding those commonalities between people, whether that's finding a friend that has had a really similar experience to me or finding a friend that has a completely different experience but has experienced that exact same feeling through other other ways. I think those are the ways that I've been discovering belonging. And so in my in my story, Shim Chung also goes through this, this fear that she'll never belong anywhere and then through the people that she meets on her journey realizes um, and they, they help each other realize sort of belonging isn't really necessarily a place and it's not really necessarily a concrete thing. It's really a feeling that you get from the people around you. And so I think so much learning has also been necessary. I think um, I started taking Korean here at college, and it's one of my—it's been one of my favorite courses. I've 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 taken now five semesters of Korean, and I'm hoping to start my sixth and final semester of Korean this semester. Um, and I think even just getting in touch with the language and learning about the foods, things that I never knew as a, as a kid, and the traditions and culture. There's always so much to learn. So I think just. Being able to, it's kind of a twofold thing. It's like learning, doing as much research and learning you as you can about your culture, but also finding the right people that also understand your situation and can help you through it and you can help them together. Yeah, I think that's a really common story, being both Korean and American. Just And, right. and it doesn't even apply to just Asians. Mm-hmm. I think anyone from any culture that resonates with you know one culture and another you know you could be asian american hispanic american african american but the fact that you grow up in one country that feeling of feeling like an outsider in both you know you're not american enough to be american but you're not your culture enough to be your culture and that feeling of being an outsider in both worlds is surprisingly a lot more common than people think you know Growing up, a lot of us feel very alone about that, not knowing where we fit in. But you find out that a lot of people don't know where they fit in. So that story ends up being a catalyst for a lot of people to reconnect and almost accept that this is a new type of culture that we're cultivating now. Right, right, uh, exactly, exactly. And I, I think even moving to the East Coast, I was suddenly meeting so many Korean Americans for the first time and realizing that even even being Korean American itself, there's such a wide spectrum of experiences. If you if you look at me and you look at my two brothers and then you compare our experiences just with each other, it's very different. And then you look at um, my friends who are second generation or first generation. We're all Korean American, but we have such different experiences. Um, but in many ways, a lot of similar things as well. So, so it's really just it's so interesting but it's a lot of fun I think and it's really meaningful um it's been really meaningful to me in my college experience just getting to meet all different kinds of people yeah and right now I think Korean culture is becoming so much bigger especially in mainstream 
media with american media and we know that korea has tons of different legends myths and folktales to draw inspiration from and the idea to create a korean themed disney-esque movie is very bold and i think it is what the world needs but can you tell us why you chose the specific tale of shim chong and why you wanted that one to share with the world in your musical absolutely so so something I, I I look for when I'm choosing a story to adapt is I always look for the kind of the seeds of a story. I don't necessarily look at a folktale or look at a piece of work and say, okay, is this the perfect story? Is this exactly what I want? Um, it's more it's more searching for something that I feel like I can take and I can make my own and I can I can really understand. And so what I really, really liked about The Blind Man's Daughter is that it's a story about a young woman who goes on an adventure. And that's that's a little bit rare actually for Korean folklore. A lot of it is a lot of folklore is about animals, a lot of folklore is about not centered around female stories. And so what I was excited about with this one is that it really did center around a young woman who who is going on this adventure. And I loved this idea that she she left home and that she was returning to home. Um, and also this story of familial separation, I think is something that is really meaningful to me. I think a lot of a lot of Korean people, if you ask, um, most of us have stories in our with our ancestors or with our grandparents who have experienced this really, really painful familial separation due to the war or due to other factors. And so I was really intrigued. I my my grandmother on my mom's side personally, she went down to study in South Korea during um right before the border was shut. And so she she experience this very, very painful familial separation. And so that was something that I was also interested in um, digging into in this story. And so I think for me, what was really exciting is taking Shim Chung's story. I felt like it was, there was a way to adapt it into a Disney-esque movie. And my dream has always, always been to write a, um, to be involved in Disney, to write for Disney, what, whatever that might mean. And I felt like this was a really great way for me to both explore my culture, explore my experiences, and also maybe take a crack at it. What, like even if I wasn't writing for Disney itself, um, sort of pretending and and making it my own. Um, so so that's sort of how how I was led to this story. But I did read tons of Korean folk tales, um, searching for the right story. And there's so many amazing stories and creation myths and lessons and and uh, in folklore. So so I think there's so much more room for more adaptations like Shim Chung. Yeah, and I think I remember reading somewhere or hearing that the beautiful thing about musicals is through music and lyrics, you're able to convey something and exactly. your story that you wouldn't be able to do just through mere dialogue or just vis- visually, you know? Right. The, the fact that music can tell you something about what the character's feeling and or thinking without them having to really necessarily say it out loud. Right, right. You know, you know what I mean? And so for your songs, you know, Dive, Don't Be Fooled and Looking for Something, which by the way, I like the the fact that you used a voice changer to play the male (laughs) part. And on TikTok, you see even little kids singing your songs, which I'm sure (laughs) has to be the most elated kind of feeling. You know, it has to keep running on a high almost. So uh, can you share with us that process you went through when it came to the lyricism, why you chose those specific lyrics, composing the musical notes and finding the right mood to fit each character? And what were the inspirations that helped you through it all? 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I think it's interesting because every song I write has a sort of different process. Um, and I really do like to write music and lyrics at the same time. Um, I, I, I think of myself sort of in a lot of ways more as a songwriter um, than maybe as a composer, although the, the terms are quite similar. But, but I, I, I really do, when I start to write a song or when I start to con- conceive a song or think of what I want it to sound like, I really do think in feelings. I think about what is it, what do I want the audience to feel here? What do I want the audience to be reminded of? And how do I feel? And if I were this character, how would I feel? And then often the song just sort of springs forth. But for for these three songs in particular, each one had a slightly different way that I wrote it. So I would say with looking for something, for example, I really wanted it to have almost like, not like Michael Buble, but something sort of in that mm-hmm. world, but but with that Korean flair, with that Korean touch. Um, and so I listened to tons of traditional Korean music. And I listened to this album by by Song Sohee on Spotify. And it's, it's called like Modern Traditional Korean Music. I think the title is something like that. Um, it's a contemporary traditional. And it's basically taking the styles of, of traditional Korean music and revitalizing it with a lot of contemporary elements and so I was so inspired by that album and in particular there was one song that was in 6-8 and pretty much I would say like most of what the songs that I compose are in 4-4 and so I was really excited by this song in 6-8 and so I took a lot of inspiration from that looked at that beat and then sort of came up with the chord progression and then from there I came up the lyrics and the melody sort of just flowed through um because of the character. Whereas for, for the Dragon Queen song, which is called Don't Be Fooled, I I did, I, I did a lot of research about different forms of Korean music. And I found this form called trot or trot, which is basically um, something that sort of the, pre, the generation before me listened to um, uh, that kind of music a lot. And because the Dragon Queen is sort of an older character, I was really excited about incorporating to themes and um and so I just listened to a bunch of music um a Spotify playlist that was just Korean trot and I took that inspiration I took those beats and then from there I created the instrumental and then the music and lyrics kind of similarly to Don't Be Fooled I mean kind of similar to the other one sort of flowed from there but with Dive I think Dive is one of those songs that sort of just kind of exploded as a full existing song with music and lyrics and I st- I wrote that one actually away from the keyboard I was just singing in my hallway and then that sort of the the pre-chorus the all of the fish in the sea that part just kind of it appeared with full lyrics and and, and music <laughs> and then that uh, coming to the da 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 that part where she says just watch me just watch me go that that sprang into this open melody where she sings the word dive. And so I don't know why I said she as a third. I always think of the character as kind of a separate person. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and then that one was, was a case where I just, I, the music and lyrics flowed together. It came out of the feelings. It came out of what Shim Chung is feeling. It's an, this is feeling of opening and soaring, even though she's saying she's diving. So that's why the melody goes up and then just going to the keyboard and, and coming up with the melody or coming up with the chord progression based on the melody I had written. Um, so so I, I would say every song honestly has a bit of a different process, um, but all of it really is driven by feelings, by emotions, and often by, by melody or by rhythm. And for anyone that probably hasn't heard of it we're gonna go ahead and splice a small sample of the song from her tiktok and here it is right now the fish in the sea can't stop me all of the waves in the world can't rock me i'm on a mission and gee just watch me go dive all that's 
and hold your breath. You're ready, set. Take the dive. Man, what is that? That is a great, great song. It's super <laughs> catchy, and I can. When it eventually comes out, I can imagine my nieces and my nephew just singing that over and over and over again <laughs> to the point where I'm like, wow, you guys really know this song. You know what I mean? It's the point where you start hating it a little bit. <laughs> the kids are singing. That's honestly my – that's one of my dreams is to just have little kids singing my song so much that, that it becomes annoying. <laughs> Maybe not to be annoying, but <laughs> – I mean, when Let It Go came out, my God, it was, it was just years and years of Let It Go. Oh, yeah. Let It Go. I'm like, okay, please <laughs> let it go. Let the song go. Please, please. Let the song go. Oh, it is, <laughs> it is a really good song. <laughs> yeah, I mean – Honestly, based on what you're saying, I really do think that this might be the push forward for the Asian American generation to have musicals and stories based on our cultures, you know, our our similar shared cultures like Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's how many musicals and things has he created in the past decade? about hispanic culture colombian culture dominican republican culture and everything like that and i i mean i think with what's happening now and from what you've started i do think that it'll be a push for i hope so yeah i really do hope so we want to thank our guest julia rue for joining us today (laughs) thank you so much for having me (laughs) To learn more about Julia, please visit her website, juliaroo.com, as well as her TikTok for more updates on her story, at Julia Roo. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you'd like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Austin Tong. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Take care until then, everyone.